football fans. Are you a through-and-through fan of the two-tone blue? Do you enjoy keeping up with the Titans and everything going on around the team? Hey, I'm Easton Freeze, writer and broadcaster covering all things Tennessee Titans and the NFL. And I've got a brand new show that is going to be your new go-to podcast. Following the action on Sundays is fun and easy, but so much happens during the busy work week that you're missing. That's why I'm hosting The Titans 10, twice a week, a quick hitting show where we run down all the news and information surrounding the Tennessee Titans in around just 10 minutes. We're recapping last week's game, looking ahead to this week's game, talking injury news, roster moves, and listening in on the best sound bites from coaches and players during the week. Join me, Easton Freeze, on the Titans 10 every Tuesday and Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. Central to stay informed and up to date on everything Titans. Subscribe to the Titans 10 podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at broadwaysportsmedia.com. Follow the show at the Titans 10 BSM and me at Easton Freeze on Twitter to get updates and interact with the show. I can't wait to see you there. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. With an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm your host, Justin Graver, and your other host, Justin Mello, is with me, as always, coming to you for our third Wednesday morning episode. Hope you guys are enjoying the new release day. Justin, I hope you're enjoying our new recording night. I very much am, except, you know, you were really late tonight, so... Don't tell them that. I'm not enjoying... (laughs) No, yeah, my apologies to the listeners for not doing anything to them. What, what do I care? <laughs> they don't. They don't care one bit. They don't. They don't share my frustration. They're listening to this as their regular scheduled programming. But for me, up here in the Great White North, that is Canada, it is very late, sir. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna do this, and <laughs> that's right. We are going to recap the Titans win divisional victory over the Indianapolis Colts. I'll run through some stats there. Talk about all those role players that came to play. Mike Vrabel's fourth down decision making and the decision to go for two. Talk about some injury concerns before we move on to preview the Titans upcoming matchup this Sunday, 12 p.m. Central Time at the New York Jets. We have a very special guest, Michael Nania, who covers the Jets for JetsXFactor.com, is co-host of the Cool Your Jets podcast covering the Jets. He will join us to discuss the team from his perspective, and then we'll give our final predictions and get out of here. So with that being said, let's talk about this Titans win over the Colts. They did it. We They pretty much did exactly what we said they were going to do. They were mostly by far the better team, but Indianapolis fought really hard, and the Titans come away with a victory that is maybe a little bit closer than the stats would indicate i don't know what i'm trying to say 25 16 final titans take care of business win by a two possession score what are your takeaways first off overall from this game yeah i don't know about you but 
I never really felt like the game was in doubt. And I don't know if that's a silly way to feel because they only won by nine, you know, and it was, it was a close game pretty much the entire way, but I never truly felt like the Titans were in danger of losing that game. So uh, I've got a couple other talking points, but that's really my, my main takeaway. I agree. I'll just run through some, some stats that caught my eye here when I looked over the box score after the game. Carson Wentz on 37 pass attempts, only completed 19 for 194 yards. That's an average of 5.2 yards per attempt. Pretty inefficient, awful day for Carson Wentz playing on those two bum ankles. Meanwhile, Ryan Tannehill threw 10 less times for three more yards, 197 yards, 18 of 27 passing for Tannehill. Three, three touchdowns to three random guys, but two interceptions one of which was just a weird miscommunication between him and I think it was Tommy Hudson who like as soon as Tannehill tried to throw the ball to him in the middle of the field, Mike Vrabel called it throwing it into a pep rally. Uh, Hudson just like sidestepped like he was trying to still get open, but we, Tannehill had already released the ball. It was just uh, a Are we going to just take that off Tannehill completely though? Because if so, I can't agree with that because I, I think Hudson did make an error there, but... I don't see why he throws that ball. It's a bit of a panic throw, and it's a poor decision. I agree 100%. Bad throw by Tannehill, bad decision. You, you never need to like make that kind of throw in duress into such a crowded space. I mean, he ended up throwing it what looked like right to Darius Leonard. So, yeah, awful decision, but definitely I think the root of it was some miscommunication there between him and a guy who, frankly, hasn't run a lot of routes with Tannehill, let alone scramble drill routes with Tannehill. So I think that's where that came from. The other interception bounced off Chester Rogers' shoulder pads. Mike Vrabel said, we can't try to catch the ball with our shoulder pads anymore, which I agree with there. But at the end of the day, it's like, whatever. The Titans moved the ball so well in this game. Derrick Henry, 28 carries, 113 yards, only 4.0 yards per carry for Henry, which is an only for him. But obviously, you'll take that any day of the week. The craziest stat from this game, though, was the Titans' leading receiver. Four catches, 53 yards, and a touchdown for Nick Westbrook-Akine. He, he led the Titans in catches and yards and obviously tied for the lead in touchdowns. He also tied for the team lead in targets with four, caught all four of his targets, and he lost a fumble. So <laughs> the Titans That's turned the ball yard over. Line at that. Yeah, exactly. Well, that was the thing. All three turnovers were in Colts territory. Titans lose the turnover battle 3-0, to zero. And the Colts are successful on two fourth downs. They're only two tries. So the Colts never give the ball back to Tennessee with like what would be considered good field position. You know, the defense played well overall, held the Colts to 4.6 yards per play, but they didn't force any turnovers. And to see the final score, Titans win by nine, which is a two score game. Despite losing the turnover battle three to zero, Mike Vrabel called it nearly impossible to win in those situations. It is. I can't believe it. And that just shows how much the Titans truly dominated this game. They were they were really winning the time of possession battle at halftime, and they ended up topping out the Colts 34 minutes of possession to 26 for the Colts, and that included like a 9 or 10-minute drive to open the third quarter for Indianapolis. So one really long drive, and without that, Indianapolis only possessed the ball for like 17 minutes in this game. So... Defense was really good despite not forcing any turnovers, and that's something that they'll need to start doing going forward, even if it's just, like, better luck forcing turnovers. But Carson Wentz did a pretty good job of, like, whenever he was about to get sacked, he just spiked the ball into the turf. Or Wentz was horrible in this game. But, yeah, my big takeaway here is 
how do the Titans win a game despite losing the turnover battle three to zero and not just win, like come from behind field goal to win it, but like win in, like you said, it felt like this game was never even in doubt. Well, I think they're, they're awfully lucky, truthfully, that they were a playing a bad football team uh, in my, or an average at best football team and B playing that said average at best football team with a quarterback on two bum ankles. I mean, Carson Wentz had no business being out there. Truth be told. Uh, I know, you know, it's, it, it's easy to make fun of them. And, and we obviously enjoy that as Titans fans, but says a lot about his toughness. I have no idea what he was doing on the field and, and he shouldn't have been out there. And it's, you know, the, the Colts can only blame themselves for not really having a suitable backup. I, I think if they have a better backup, uh, he probably starts this game, right? But they call up Brett Hundley from the practice squad, goes to show you how poor that situation is there. But uh, my main takeaway, you talk about how do they win this game? Well, after that week two win in Seattle, we pointed to a couple of unsung heroes, right? Uh, specifically, I think, you know, Michael Pruitt, and Tyson Brelo, you know, came in pregame for Taylor Lewan's injury, started at left tackle unexpectedly, played a great game. You'll remember what Pruitt did there as well uh, with the three catches for 45 yards, but also some of the energy and, and penalties that he created, and they really fed off, off of that. Looking into this game, you can expand that list. You know, I thought having those two unsung heroes was great, but you look at this one, I don't know if you could call David Long that type of player, but he certainly was terrific in this game. And I know Titans fans are high on him, but he's still a young guy that doesn't have a ton of starting experience. So I'm comfortable including him here. I look at Dane Crookshank, you know, who stepped in and started um, after they released Bradley McDougal, decided to kind of promote Crookshank. He was terrific in this game. And, and the list goes snap. on and on. I'm sorry. I think played every snap, yeah, every single snap. Yeah, he was, he was terrific on the defensive side of the ball. Ola Daney is another guy that really stepped up. I mean, he had what 1.5 sacks, uh, had a great one, and then he shared another with Harold Landry. Landry, of course, not an unsung hero, so to speak, but was terrific in this game. A career high, 12 pressures generated. Uh, it's crazy that he only ends up with with half a sack on 12 pressures and he'll need to clean that up and finish some of those plays, but it's still great to see him being around the quarterback so often. So, and then you, you talked about the offensive side. I didn't even mention any offensive guys really on the unsung heroes, right? But Nick Westbrook, Akine, despite that fumble, Chester Rogers, despite that one error with, with the shoulder pads thing that clearly ticked off Rabel, he scores the opening touchdown of the game. So there were a lot of quote unquote unsung heroes in this game. The Titans depth is what really carried them through here. Jeremy McNichols also the three guys who caught That's touchdowns right. for yeah. Tannehill and not just the three guys who caught touchdowns, but like the team that was on the field for Tannehill's last two drives that had Julio Jones and AJ Brown sitting on the sideline. And we will get to those injuries here in a second, but they're two big offensive threats who aren't Derrick Henry sitting on the sideline. Tannehill marches them down the field and, and puts them ahead by enough to really seal the game. Then they go for two convert that as well. Derrick Henry did everything in this game. I know, like I said, he only aver only averaged four yards per carry. I say only in air quotes. You know, you can't forget what Henry's been doing in the receiving game these past few weeks. He had three catches for 31 yards in this one, including probably, I mean, this is up. It's not quite as Josh Norman or uh, who was the Lions guy, Alex, whatever his name is. I can't remember who the Lions guy was. Alex Myers. Myers, that's what it was. But the way that Derrick Henry bowled through Darius Leonard and Leonard just bounces off of him like, like someone threw a medicine ball at Henry, or not a medicine ball, a bit, one of those big exercise balls, you know? 
like like that's what it looked like like someone just threw one of those balls at Henry's elbow and it just bounced off of him and Leonard goes flying and this is after Leonard said in Henry's top 100 video about how you don't want to end up on that end of a Derrick Henry highlight well well, Mr. Leonard, welcome to that end of a Derrick Henry highlight. You're and on it. <laughs> Xavier Rhodes caught a face full of Derrick Henry's stiff hand arm as well. How about Julian Blackman before the game saying, Henry, all you have to do is wrap him up and go low and tackle him, and he was looking forward to it. And then he tweets after the game that he didn't miss any tackles. We had a Titans fan, Wayne, one of my, one of my buddies, Wayne, tweeted and tagged Blackman and said, Hey man, how, how did that game go for you? And Blackman responded, he's since deleted the tweet, but he basically said, I didn't miss any tackles, so I'm doing fine. It's like, bro, your team just got b destroyed by this guy and you did miss a tackle. Somebody, somebody found it, found the evidence. They posted the tweet of, of Blackman bouncing off the turf as Henry runs by him, stiff arming him to the, to oblivion. So really great game from Derrick Henry and the role players, I think. And un unheralded great game for Ryan Tannehill, I think. He only threw 197 yards. He had two interceptions. But what he did with his legs in this one, this was a shocking stat to me. They said it on the broadcast. Ryan Tannehill, five carries for 56 yards. Career high rushing yards. He had like a 50-yard oh, wow. touchdown against Green Bay last year. How is this How is this true? But That it must is. have been his only run of that game. That's crazy. Yeah. And I didn't know. I didn't even see that. I didn't know that was a career high in rushing yards. I, more importantly, and I, I think I'm correct when I say this, every single run or scramble by him went for a first down. So he moved the chains on every single run, and and he made great for the most part. He made great decisions with the ball. The you know the the inter, the first interception was bad. Like I said, I'm not taking that off him. But when I look at all the care, all the rushes that go for first downs, and then some of the other things that I think maybe slipped through the cracks, the touchdown pass to Chester Rogers, hoping the scoring occurs on third down. The touchdown pass to Jeremy McNichols occurs on, I believe it was a third and 10, you know, late in that ball game. That was an important touchdown and a good decision to just kind of check it down to McNichols there. And, and also don't forget earlier in the game, I think it was, might've been the first quarter. So they had that fourth and four, right, right around midfield and, and Rainbow goes for it, which I want to talk about a little, but great decision to hit Julio Jones ends up being a 16 yard gain, moves the chains, keeps the offense on the field. So I thought Tannehill, again, you know, two interceptions. Yeah, not a whole lot of passing yards, but the three touchdowns made good decisions. Hey, it, it was almost your classic Ryan Tannehill that he showed up when they needed him type of performance. was extremely efficient and, and really moved the chains when he needed to. And staying in bounds on that one run late in the game so that the clock would wind down. Just like you said, great decision making. While you were talking there, I looked it up. Tannehill had 55 rushing yards against Green Bay, 56 in this game. And it is a career high, but it's a it's a career high tying performance. Back in 2013, Ryan Tannehill had a three carry for 56-yard game. Last thing I want to talk about before we move on to Vrabel's decision-making here, and we talk about Ryan Tannehill making good decisions, is, again, the defense. And uh, you mentioned Harold Landry. Harold Landry, we got we to gotta say this stat that was thrown around. And you brought it up earlier, 12 pressures, but it was his pass rush win, yeah, such a hard word, pass rush win rate, which is tracked by uh, Next Gen Stats, does this pass rush win rate, which is literally the percentage of pass rushing snaps that you beat the man across from you. Harold Landry posted the third highest pass, I can't say this freaking expression, pass rush win rate, the third highest in Next Gen Stats history, not this week, not this year, not the last few years, Next Gen Stats history, which only goes back to 2016, so it is only five years. But still, third highest pass rush win rate over the last 
five years or whatever, Harold Landry. And it's a contract year for Landry. So in classic Titans fashion, he's just going to go off and make us all believe that he needs a huge contract extension or he'll go earn one from another team because John Robinson won't pay up or something like that. But at this point, I'm all in on Harold Landry coming back and being a career Titan. They were using him all over the formation. I love seeing him line up on the inside and and blitz from the inside linebacker position or start on the edge and loop around the way they were doing that. They had David Long going and, and taking out tackles, legs, and knees. You can see uh, Tic Tac Titans. Our buddy Tyler is tweeting out plays from the game, the All-22. You can see David Long just, like, taking out linemen's legs so that Landry can get in the backfield. And really, really great game from Landry. And also... Again, this is a recurring theme now, Christian Fulton. Yeah, Fulton was terrific in this game. Landry was great. I mean, Fulton's been great three games in a row. With Landry, the only point I'll make on that front is uh, imagine how much better it can get when defenses have to start paying a bit more attention to Bud Dupree. You know, as Dupree hopefully continues to get his legs under him and becomes more effective as the year goes on, that should only help Harold Landry on the opposite side. Right. Totally agree, and we'll talk about Bud Dupree in a second when we get to injuries, but before that, Mike Vrabel goes for it on fourth down, like you mentioned, fourth and four, they convert, it was a great play design, getting Julio to come across the formation, he was wide open, Tannehill finds him, great protection on that play, allowed Tannehill to find him, and then going for it on the two-point conversion, I think that was really the, the right decision, and also a decision that I don't always expect to see Mike Vrabel make, you know, Mike Vrabel's a... Uh, not really. I mean, the Titans have an analytics guy, kind of. The Mike Vrabel says he prefers to, you know, know what the analytics say, but then make a decision based on how the game is going and what his gut tells him and things like that. And I'm okay with that. I mean, seeing how the game is going and not just making a decision blindly based on what a hundred million, a data point from a hundred million plays tells you, you know, football's a small sample size game. So it's interesting to see him adjust his decision-making according to the situation. But here we have the Titans... They score to go up 20 to 13 with 12 minutes and 56 seconds left in the game. So still enough time for Indy to put a few drives together if they could. I mean, we saw the Chiefs almost come back from a deficit like that. We saw the Niners almost come back from a deficit like that. I mean, it's possible, right? It happens all the time. Titans did it two weeks ago against Seattle. They were down 14 in the fourth quarter, right? Mike Vrabel decides instead of taking an extra point to go up by eight, if you miss, it's still a seven-point game. What is the difference there? It's still one touchdown. And sure, the Colts have to convert a two-point conversion. That's not always the easiest thing to do. But if you let them drive all the way down the field and score, they are likely going to convert a two-point conversion as well. Instead, Mike Grable decides to go for two, which puts the Titans up nine. It's a two-position game now. Colts can go for two if they want, but it doesn't help them at all. The uh, the our Our friend, our Broadway contributor, my co-host on The Flex, Rob Greenlaw, reached out to EDJ Edge Sports, however you say it, the analytics company, to find out if this was actually the right decision, and it was really close. It only improved the Titans' winning percent percentages by 0.1%, but it did improve them by going for two there. But what it really does to me is it, it shows confidence in your offense, despite having a bunch of scrubs in, like we mentioned before, a bunch of role players, backups. They run the read option play that we were clamoring for a few weeks back when they failed on some fourth downs and stuff. And uh, Tannehill hands it off because it's there, and Henry just runs right into the end zone super easily. Great play call by by Todd Downing there, running the old Arthur Smith special with the with the read option between Tannehill and Henry. Gets right in, makes it a nine-point game. And if you miss it there, like we said, it's only a seven-point game. So I love this decision. I think it's absolutely the right decision. 
A seven-point game is still a touchdown game, and I just don't think that there's that much of a difference between seven and eight points, but there's a huge difference, a whole possession worth of difference between eight points and nine points. Yeah, I'll say this. I full, I don't have a lot to add on the two-point conversion because I fully agree with you. I thought it was an excellent decision. I, I love going for it. You, it, it pretty much ended the game right then and there, right? And if you don't get it, you're still up seven. Well, that, that's all fine and dandy. The fourth down one is the one I want to talk a little bit more because it made me chuckle because I really didn't expect them to go for that at that point in the game. I thought, you know, not that I'm against it, don't get me wrong, but it surprised me. You know, you're, you're at around midfield. You're against a, a hobbled quarterback in Wentz and a bad offense in Indianapolis. At that point in the game, it was so early. I thought they would have been comfortable just punting it, pinning them deep and, and starting to play the field position battle and probably getting the ball back rather quickly, right? Just for context, it was uh, at the Indy 41-yard line with 8.40 to go in the first quarter. So, yeah, early on. Look, 41-yard line, I I don't hate that decision. I I really don't. All I'm saying is it surprised me. Seeing Mike Vrabel's past, he's kind of played those things a a little safe at times. I mean, everyone remembers the punt against Baltimore last year in the playoffs. That was a terrible decision. They they were losing that game, and it was late, right? So for him to go for it here, uh, eight minutes left in the first quarter still, uh, and I believe was a scoreless ball game at that point. That was a shocking decision, and 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 all of this to say, I have no idea when Mike Vrabel is going to decide to go forward and when he's going to decide to punt. I have no clue what's going through his mind in those situations. And again, I didn't hate the decision, but it, it did really shock me. I'm almost always going to be pro go for it. I'm aggressive mentality. I think that you just win more football games trying to win than trying not to lose. So I'm going to always say go for it, but I totally agree. Mike Vrabel's decision-making here is so inconsistent. I can only hope that the two decisions to go for it here are indicative of growth and not just random because we'll find out as the season goes on. All right, let's talk about these injuries before we move over to our Jets preview with Michael Nania here. A.J. Brown injured in the first quarter. It looked like he was injured on that long run down the sideline. He kind of came up short. Tannehill put the ball out maybe a little too far or maybe A.J. Brown could have got it if he didn't pull something running that route. This was early in the first quarter. He did not return. Julio Jones also did not play the uh, the end of this game. He was standing on the silence for most of the fourth quarter without even his helmet. He, he went and grabbed his helmet at one point and then put it back and never ended up coming in the game. And Mike Vrabel said afterwards that they're just trying to manage players. They know it's a long season. Players sometimes get tight during games and you don't want to push it. He talked about how he knew... He had an idea how the end of this game would go, that there'd be a lot of receivers digging out safeties in the run game, meaning we're just going to be running our four-minute offense and bleeding clock, and there's no need to have Julio Jones go out there and throw his body into the Colts' safeties when you have Nick Westbrook-Akine, who does this on special teams all the time, who can go out there and, and do that for the team. So I'm not concerned about these injuries going forward. I'm really not. Bud Dupree also didn't play in this one. They said they were hopefully only going to use him if they needed him or situationally or whatever that even means, I think that means if they found themselves losing in this game. But I think the Titans expected to win this game. They came out. They did win this game. They were winning all game. And then they decided we're not going to push our best players to go get possibly meaninglessly injured the way Christian McCaffrey was like. Christian McCaffrey didn't get injured in a meaningless way. But, you know, they were just pounding McCaffrey a couple weeks ago in that Panthers win when they were way up, they had no reason to keep running McCaffrey. Mike Grable's doing the opposite here. He's like, there's no need to risk our best players right now. The the game is comfortably in hand, even though the scoreboard makes it feel closer than it really seems. 
And so these guys stayed on the sideline. I think A.J. Brown's injury is the one to watch most going forward. Adam Schefter had it on Tuesday that he is uh, week to week now. But I'm not really concerned about anyone else. No, I mean, AJ, you said it week to week. Look, you hold them out of this game against New York. You hold them out of week five as well against Jacksonville. Those two teams have a combined record of 0-6. You definitely don't bring them back for either of those games, and you try to get them healthy for Monday night football against the Bills uh, in week six. On the Julio front, not a whole lot there. Sounds like a bit of load management, so to speak. I did think the timing was a little odd. That was a close football game, but I don't dislike Rabel's explanation of we're going to be doing a lot of blocking, and you don't want him to get him hurt on a play like that late in the game uh they also added Rashad Weaver and Derek Roberson to IR uh this week the both players lost to miss at least three games uh Weaver will miss significantly more, his injury being more serious. A little thin at outside linebacker. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They do bring back Sharif Finch, add him to the practice squad. A guy that was here in 2018 and 2019 could be active for Sunday's game against New York. And also uh, you hope that Bud Dupree is ready to go because don't look now, but they're a little thin there on the outside. Right. Very good recap. Thank you. And speaking of Sunday at New York, let's get to our guest. I mentioned him before, Michael Nania. You can find all his work at JetsXFactor.com, co-host of the Cool Your Jets podcast. My go-to Twitter follow for Jets news. You can find him on Twitter at Michael underscore Nania. Michael, how are you doing tonight? Thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to get into this game here. Obviously, Titans play the Jets this weekend. The first thing I want to talk to you about here, this is... Uh, more or less Jets and Ryan Tannehill related, but what has it been like with Adam Gase out of the picture? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, for the most part, this offseason has been really positive, but obviously three weeks into the season now, it hasn't looked as different from the Gase era as I think Jets fans would have hoped, but it, it is very early in the process. Obviously, it is a lot different than, you know, Gase who comes in as a guy who already has play calling experience, head coaching experience. This is a team that's early in the process. So even though the results early on have not been as much of an improvement as you would hope, um, I think still the optimism is really high that the Jets have uh, a lot of great people in charge on the coaching staff and the front office um, and that they can truly move on from the Adam Gase era. And finally, for the first time in many years, have, uh, competent leadership. But but like I said, three weeks in, um, we still need to see a lot more to be sure about those things. Um, but for the most part, I think uh, there is optimism that the Jets have the right people in place. And speaking of that optimism, Michael, and, and having the right people in place, I want to talk about Zach Wilson now. I mean, you said it, uh, the last two weeks specifically really haven't gone well uh, shut out week three against Denver, only six points in week two against New England. I believe Wilson's got, what, six interceptions over those two games. Uh, it's obviously early, but does this just look like your typical rookie jitters, rookie struggling, or is there more reason to be concerned there? I think in a lot of ways it is very typical rookie struggles because throughout all three games, we've seen the flashes of why he was taken with the second pick. He has had quite a few you know, big-time money throws, um, and I, I think a lot of his issues just really do have to uh, do with him just getting his feet wet in the league. A lot of it is he's taken a lot of sacks. He's take, taken the most sacks in the league and the pass protection has been poor for sure. But a lot of the sacks that he's taken have been 
uh, instances where he could throw the ball away. And I think he's still trying to figure out, you know, he's a very elusive guy, a good athlete who loves to extend plays. And I think he's still trying to figure out, you know, in which situations can I get away with trying to juke out the edge rusher and extend the play to the sideline? You know, sometimes you could do that at BYU. Um, and there are instances where you can do it in the NFL, but when you're going against Brian Burns, Von Miller, uh, it's harder to um, juke those guys out and make moves and extend plays sometimes. Um, and then from a throwing pass, a throwing standpoint, um, I feel like timing has been a big issue for him. His decision-making has been mostly definitely not perfect, but for the most part, I think he has made good decisions. It's just the timing of those decisions have been way off. He's been late on throws. He's been early on throws. Um, we're starting to see him sort of show a lack of trust in his protection. And he's been a little jittery under the pressure in terms of footwork um, and mechanics. So uh, I think for the most part, um, it is very typical, uh, just rookie issues and things that I really feel like he's benefiting from playing and making these mistakes and just feeling out the league and understanding um, which throws can he get away with, which scramble attempts can he get with, uh, get away with, um, and just getting his timing down. Um, so obviously the results have to be better. Two touchdowns and seven picks isn't acceptable for anybody, but um, I do think the flashes of potential have been have still been there, and for the most part, I think his issues can be worked out with just more reps. And one of his passing targets, one of his big targets this year, former Tennessee Titan, I'm sure Titans fans would be curious to know your thoughts on Corey Davis so far this year. Has he been better or worse than what you guys expected up there? Well, first game of the season against Carolina, he was exactly what I think we all hoped the Jets would be getting. He had two touchdowns, right. uh, I believe over 90 yards. Uh, he looked like a number one target. He's had had a great game. Was he separated on a scramble drill? He separated um, on an out route in the uh, in the red zone. He had a couple of in breaking routes in the intermediate range. Uh, he's a complete package in that game. But the last two weeks, he's been one of the most disappointing players, um, really on the entire roster uh, against the Patriots. Second pass of the game after Wilson already threw a pick on his first pass. Um, Wilson goes to Davis on an intermediate route uh, on a crossing route towards the sideline. Um, and Wilson does throw it a little bit high, but sails right through Corey Davis's hands and results in his second consecutive pick. Um, and then in the Broncos game, he had a drop early on, in which Wilson made a great throw in a scramble drill about 20 yards down the field, would have put the Jets in the red zone. Um, he dropped that one. So his hands the last two games just have not been there. He's dropped a lot of passes that we're not used to seeing him drop. So uh, it's been a rough two-game stretch for him against two really good defenses the past couple of weeks that have a lot of talent in the secondary and veteran coaches on defense. Um, first game, he looked like who the Jets hoped they were getting, but last couple of games, he's really struggled with drops. Question for you, Michael. Um, I, I feel like Titans fans don't know a lot about this Jets team. And it's interesting because, you know, they played two NFC opponents in, in week one and two with Arizona and Seattle, but there's a lot of star power there. I think Titans fans knew, of course, they had to watch out for Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins and J.J. Watt. Then you go to Seattle and you got Russell Wilson and D.K. Metcalf. Uh, give me two or three Jets players that maybe Titans fans aren't familiar with that they should be keeping a close eye on this Sunday. Yeah, so I think offensively, um, Michael Carter, rookie running back from North Carolina, fourth-round pick, Love that guy. Is, uh, is a guy to look out for. He's had the last couple of games, he's really shown a lot of elusiveness as a ball carrier. Um, he's probably been – I think he's their most complete running back, and in the passing game, he's potential too. 
Uh, he did have a pretty big drop last week, but he does run downfield routes, which most of the other backs don't do. So I would keep an, uh, an eye out for Michael Carter. Um, and Elijah Moore has just been waiting to break out. The separation has been there throughout all three games. Um, and just for various reasons, the production hasn't been there. First game, he dropped a, a tough catch, but a really good deep ball from Wilson early in the Carolina game. Um, against New England, he separated a lot, but Wilson was way off in that game, just could not capitalize. Uh, and then against Denver, there were um, the pass protection wasn't good. Uh, the timing was off, but the separation for Elijah Moore, his route running, has been really good. So I think that he's, at some point, the production is going to come. Um, and just like I talked about earlier, the timing just hasn't been great. Like there was a play early in the Denver game where Moore runs a comeback on the sideline. He beats his guy pretty good. He's wide open, but Wilson just gets the ball out too early and the ball's a little bit short. So just not on the same page with the timing. So um, those two guys offensively uh, and then defensively, Quinn Williams has had a good season so far. He broke out last game, uh, one and a half sacks uh, and his pressure this season has been really consistent. He's been one of the best pressure producing defensive tackles in the league, taking that uh, looks like he's on the path to taking that step that um, many Jets fans hoped he would take after a really good second half of last season. Um, and then also one more on defense, uh, rookie slot corner, Michael Carter, the second from Duke has been really good. His coverage in the slot has been excellent. Uh, when he gets targeted underneath, he breaks downhill, makes his tackles, doesn't give up anything extra after the catch. And even down the field, he just has not been beaten and allowed quarterbacks to have the opportunity uh, to target slot receivers down the field. So uh, those are a few of the guys who I think are uh, in terms of more underrated names to look out for. Nice. Yeah. Titans fans will definitely be watching out for those guys because, you know, I think it's fair to say these two teams are in different stages of the competitive cycle. The Titans feel that they should be competing for the Super Bowl this year. The Jets are in, you know, first year head coach, rookie quarterback, lots of new rebuilding going on. But that doesn't mean that the Titans are just going to win this game. So I want to throw it to you now and, and tell us what has to happen for the Jets to pull off what Vegas would consider an upset here on Sunday. Yeah, I, I think it's all going to start on the defensive side um, because I, I feel like offensively the Jets may have a better chance of being competent than they did in the first three games against three really good defenses. And Tennessee has had a few issues defensively so far, haven't been quite as good as Carolina, New England, uh, and Denver. Um, but defensively, you know, I think going into the year on paper, this looked like a huge mismatch with that passing attack and Derrick Henry against this young defense. Um, but the defense is, for the Jets has been pretty good so far. Um, so if they can hold up and just keep it within reach for the offense, then I feel like, that it could be within striking distance. And obviously it comes down to the offense as well. They've been frankly terrible so far. They've only scored 20 points this season. Um, but I think the, the seeds have been planted for a good offense. They're just waiting to put everything together at the same time. We've seen good run blocking and uh, a good rushing attack against New England. Wilson was great in the Carolina game, but then fell apart the next couple games. Corey Davis was great in the first game, but then the next couple games fell apart. So, We've seen flashes of pretty much across the entire offense uh, of good performance. Even Michael Floor has had his good moments, um, but at times players haven't capitalized on them. And, and he struggled as well in terms of just winning the chess match against two veteran defensive coordinators the last couple of games. So um, I think at home against um, 
a defense that's a little bit more exposable than the first few that they played. Um, they have a chance to be respectable, maybe put touch 20 points for the first time. Um, so the defense can against uh, a really talented Titans offense that's been very productive, um, can keep it within striking distance, then uh, maybe they can make it a competitive game. And on that note, Michael, we're going to ask you to leave us uh, for our final question here with a with a final score prediction. You know, just curious how you see this one uh, playing out. Yeah, I got to be honest. I can't, you know, give a biased prediction and say the Jets are going to win this game. I think they will start 0-4 and that they'll hit their stride later in the season as, you know, the youngest roster in the league kind of um, builds up some reps in the league and just gets its feet wet a little bit more. Um, so I do think the Titans will win this game, but I feel like the Jets will have their best offensive performance so far. Um, I'll I'll go with Tennessee 28 to 20. Okay, nice. I like that. Conservative, but definitely realistic. Thank you so much again, Michael, for joining us this evening. You guys out there, make sure you're following him on Twitter during the game so you can see everything from the New York Jets point of view. It's at Michael underscore Nania. That's N-A-N-I-A. Again, thanks again. To Michael for joining us. You can find his work on jetsxfactor.com, co-host of the Cool Your Jets podcast covering the Jets. And again, really my go-to Jets uh, Jets person on Twitter. So thank you for being with us this evening and good luck to your team this season. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. And same to you as well. All right. That was Michael Nania. Hope you enjoyed our interview with him. Justin, your score prediction before we wrap this out. Titans win this one 30-7. Nice. I'm right there with you. I'm going to say 31 to 14. Late touchdown by New York. All right. That'll do it. We recapped the Colts game. We previewed the Jets game. Make sure you're checking out everything we got going on over at broadwaysportsmedia.com, including, you heard the trailer for it at the top of this show, a new podcast we have called The Titans 10 hosted by Easton Freeze. The idea is a short form podcast, about 10 minutes, just giving you the updates on what's going on with the Titans. The first episode dropped on Tuesday in the Football and Other F-Words feed. Easton's shows are going to appear there for now. We're still getting the Titans 10 feed situated. He will move over there eventually, but for now, check out that Football and Other F-Words podcast feed on Tuesdays and Fridays for Easton's show, The Titans 10. Obviously, listen to football and other F-words. Coach's Corner has been pushed back to Thursday this week. Second in Victory. All of our podcasts, of course, my fantasy show that I do with Robert Greenlaw, Ryan Watson, and Zach Lyons called The Flex. We're live every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central. That's tonight if you're listening to this on Wednesday, so be sure to tune in. Ask us your fantasy questions. We'll go through our start sits. All right, that's enough plugging from me. Follow Justin on Twitter. That's a plug. One more plug. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. Follow me at Titans Film Room. And the last thing I'll request of you guys is to find the Music City Audible podcast. Just go to it right now. You take out your phone. You're listening to the podcast. Take out your phone. Find the show page. Go to the show page. Scroll down. Tap the five star button. Give us a little five star rating. And just write a, write a few words. Write a few words. I'm really loving the show. Thank you, guys. Or I really hate the show, but I gave it five stars anyway. We don't care what you say. Just trying to bump those numbers up so that new listeners can find our show. Helps us continue to grow and continue getting great guests like Michael Nania. 
So I hope you enjoyed today. All right, that's it for real. No more plugs. The show is ending. We will be back next Wednesday to recap this game against the Jets and preview another divisional matchup, this time against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we'll be back for that. Until then, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.